0: regardless of where you are in your practice, whether you are just starting out or you've been at it for a little while, you'll probably find a little gem or tidbit in here that you can go, ah, I can leverage that. And now's a perfect time to do it because we've got a whole brand new year in front of us, right? Today is January the 2nd, 2024. I know I probably shouldn't be saying dates on a podcast because it does age out, but it's relevant because it's a new year. I couldn't start the podcast without saying something about that. So I'm excited for 2024. As you all know, it's my favorite time of year, the end of the year, first of the year, Because I always think about the new year as a way to have a brand new clean slate to think about what I want to do, what I want to accomplish, where I want to go, how I want to grow my business, how I want to grow my practice, what do I need to change and switch up a little bit, and so on. So I love this. I just love this. Like I love Mondays too, because Mondays are the best because you have a whole week in front of you. You get to do whatever you're going to do. Anyway, let's dive in today. You may or may not remember, but in the last Well, I guess last month, we made several calls for your questions. And it was a what would Rhonda do type question. And I get asked that a lot inside both my Facebook communities, as well as when I'm working and coaching with practitioners and inside Clinical Business Academy. People always say, I always think, what would Rhonda do? So I thought, yeah, that's a great podcast topic. So So many of you responded with questions, and I have a lineup of what I thought were some of the best questions or duplicate questions, as well as ones that I thought would apply to just about everyone. So I'm going to go through them, and I'm going to give you some juicy details about these questions. So if you can, if you're not driving, grab a pen, grab a piece of paper. You're going to want to take notes. Promise. All right, you ready? The first question, Mina asked this question. And she said, I love this question. What is the one thing that grew your clinical business the most? Was it workshops, social media, et cetera? What was the one thing? Well, Mina, I cannot tell you the one thing because it was multiple things, but I'm going to give you my high point, multiple things. So regardless of where you are in your practice, whether you are just starting out, or you've been at it for a little while, you'll probably find a little gem or tidbit in here that you can go, ah, I can leverage that. And now's a perfect time to do it because we've got a whole brand new year in front of us, right? All right, when I opened my practice in 2004, I know it seems like forever ago, when I did, there was social media wasn't a thing. So I didn't have the ability to do that. So social media is important, but it is the long game, unless you're really committed. I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. But so, what I did was, I just knew that the way I was going to grow was grassroots. And I still believe that that is a really great way to do it. Not only when you grow it grassroots by making connections with people, networking, you start to build friends, you make relationships, and then those people are great sources of referrals. So, what I did was, I found like the little independently owned local health food store. Now, back then, there was no Whole Foods, although Whole Foods, Originated about an hour from where my clinic was, the very first Whole Foods ever in a little mountain town. But at that time, we didn't have any of that. All of the health food stores were independently owned. So I went to the health food stores. I spoke for church groups, MOPS groups, which is called Mothers of Preschoolers. I taught for them. I taught for some like ADHD. I was a frequent speaker there because I knew that I could use herbs to help quiet the mind. And with those kids, I talked about the importance of diet and. What's happening in their gut? And I talked about like managing anxiety and that, you know, stress response that gets them to act out and react and not be able to calm and settle. So that was a great place for me for referrals. I got a lot of families that way. I taught in schools. I actually taught nutrition in kindergarten. And what I did was every time I went, I wanted to learn a little bit about my audience. So it was made it easier for me to make content that was more relevant for them. So I wouldn't go to an ADHD group and talk about menopause, right? I would be tailoring my content to that specific group. So like for moms, you know, when I was dealing with kindergarten teaching in kindergarten, talking to moms, I went hard in on like how to feed picky eaters, how to deal with bedwetting, what does it mean when your kids are grinding their teeth or pulling out their eyebrows? What are signs that indicate digestive issues? How do you know if your kids have food allergies? What are the things to look for in behavior and also what's happening outside, like, you know, chicken skin or whatever it might've been. I talked about that. Like when I went to the health food store, I kind of found out like who were the type of people that normally come. And then I would pick a theme or a topic that I wanted to talk about. In that situation, I did choose supplements at the health food store that I was willing to recommend. Most Most of them were junky but I didn't ever give them all the information. I held a few back and said, well, there's a couple more of those you have to get from a licensed practitioner, which would be me, of course. When I was talking about ADHD, obviously I talked about concentration, you know, improving memory and focus, all of those things. The other thing that I did in that grassroots kind of process is I created a lot of free resources and they looked different then, but you can still do the same thing now and I would highly recommend it. Start creating resources about the things that pertain to your audience. So like, let's say you deal with kids, then you need to have three or four or five different resources that you can give to a mom with a child that's your ideal, you know, audience. Maybe you do deal with ADHD or something like that. Just create a resource that that mom is going to find valuable to help her because is the child really your audience, your niche? Is the child the one that's making the decisions? No. Your customer, so to speak, is the mother. So we want to speak to the mother. So create resources. Now, today you might think like checklists, a cheat sheet, resource for clean skincare products, or, you know, hormone products that may have hormones in them that you would want to stay away from and hormone-free products. Like anything that's going to help your audience, your prospective patient or patient, help them make a better decision about their health, their life, their ongoing journey. So I created a lot of resources. And then today, now, I wouldn't just give those away for free. Back then, we didn't have this. But now, for sure, it's behind a paywall. And I do that today. Like sometimes on the podcast, I'll have something that is a resource. But you know what? If you want it, you're going to have to give me your email. And that's what I call the paywall. There's not really any payment. That's going back and forth, but I am going to ask for an email once in a while. And you should too. You should do the same thing. Don't give your stuff away. Get people's emails. Even if they're already an existing patient, you already have their email. You want to get it again because what you're finding out is what kind of information are they raising their hand about? In other words, what are they asking? Like, yes, I want to know more about Hashimoto's. You might create a a resource that's five foods you have to stay away from if you have Hashimoto's. Five surprising foods that may be aggravating your Hashimoto's. Oh, I would want that in a minute. Title's everything, right? So you want to do that. The other thing that grew my practice, and I think it wouldn't have grown had I not been doing the networking, and I still believe that that's really powerful. Like in person, in your local area, even if you're a virtual practice, everybody comes to me and they're like, oh, I want to go nationwide and have an online virtual. Do you know how competitive that is? Yay, yay, yay! that's like an uphill battle. First, network in your local area. So what if you have a virtual practice? Just do it locally. Make those connections and those networks in your local area. But once I got the patient in the door, they scheduled the appointment. From the moment that they first scheduled, I made sure to deliver what I call the wow factor. I'm gonna give you my wow factor. I'm gonna give you what I did and also what I'm doing now. Number one, is when I had a new patient come into my office and I had a brick and mortar, when I had them come in, we sat down with them. I did all my things, sent them out. They went home with their tests or supplements or whatever. They didn't expect this, but at the end of the day, I called them at about six or six thirty was when the kind of the hour was I would call. And if I didn't get them, I'd leave a message. But I would call and just say, hey, this is Dr. Rhonda. I just wanted to follow up with you really fast. Make sure you didn't have any questions. I know we had a lot of information today. We covered a lot. We talked about a lot. And I know it can be a little overwhelming, but I just wanted to call, make sure you're doing all right and see if you have any questions. I'm telling you, I cannot tell you how many people were so moved and like, oh my gosh, she actually called me. Well, then I took it a step further. My office manager would take a note card and she would pre-address the envelope for that patient and the day after the appointment, I would write something in the note card. Sometimes I'd write it the same day, but it would get mailed the day after, which means it didn't arrive at the patient's house until two or three days later. So now I have two touch points after the appointment. One, I called them. Two, they got a handwritten note in the mail. You know how much more impactful a handwritten note is than just an email? Significantly more impactful. It's memorable. It's what I call the wow experience. And then I made sure I always had food in the office. Yeah. Back then, I had nuts. Now, you may not want to do that because there's more and more nut allergies. I didn't have any peanuts. But I just made like a little trail mix. Sands the chocolate chips. But it was like dried fruit, sweetened with, you know, fruit juice and nuts, and we always had water or tea, people would stop by in the middle of the day and say, hey, I'm hungry. I just wanted to stop by and say hi and grab a cup of nuts. I'm like, sure, come on in. Those were the people that were the best referrers. So if you have a brick and mortar, what can you do to make them want to be at your office? They want to be in relationship with you. They want to be there. Those are the people that refer all the time. If you have a virtual practice, you can create the same thing. You can create it by checking in, giving resources. You can do you know, an online, like a meet and greet kind of a deal, like a lunch and learn once a month where you're just doing it by video and you invite all your patients to come and ask you all the questions that they want. You can still create that same experience. And then the last thing is I asked for referrals. I asked for them because I was growing. I needed to grow. There was no time to mess around. So I would say... When I had a happy patient, you know those, I call them A patients. I grade patients A, B, and C. And you all know what I'm talking about. The A patients are your amazing patients, right? B are like your borderline, and C is like, out you go. Like, they're not my favorites, and if they quit coming, it would be okay. They probably could find someone better suited for them. So when I had an A patient, and they were super happy, I just asked them, hey, do you know anyone that is struggling with their health and would like the kind of help that you're getting here? Do you know anyone? If so, I would love it if you would send them my way. It would really mean a lot to me. And they already love you. They already are like, oh, so great, I'm I'm so happy. And they refer like crazy. I got so many new patients this way. So it starts with the networking. And then it starts by giving them resources, things that they can download, obviously in exchange for an email that should go on your website. That's called a lead magnet, by the way, or a free resource, whatever you want to call it. First, network, then give them something, then make sure that you're talking about content that's relevant to the audience that you're speaking to, create a wow experience, and then ask for referrals. I'm sorry that that was not just one thing, Mina, but... I couldn't do just one thing. Those are all my things. Do you want to grow a practice fast? That's how you do it. All right. Second question. This is from someone who's a physical therapist. And she said, I'm studying functional medicine and I want to start a virtual practice specializing in chronic pain. And I'd love to know your thoughts about it. So this is a great question. I love talking about virtual practices because I have one. I am a huge, big fan, but here's what you have to know if you're going to start a virtual practice. There are kind of four basic components, okay? Number one, you have to have a good patient management software, and I highly recommend Practice Better. I will put a link in the show notes for you if you have never heard of them, you don't know, or you wanna check them out. I will put the link in there, but it's Practice Better. With Practice Better, it works for whether you have a brick and mortar or whether you have a virtual, it's very good for virtual. It's all HIPAA compliant, HIPAA secure. And basically it is your hub with the patient. You post, they can submit things to you. They can ask questions. You can send emails. It's the whole package. Everybody loves practice better. So that's the first thing. You want to make sure that you have good infrastructure, like a way to be able to work with patients, get their intake forms, all that stuff. signed. you know, put in a folder in a secure place. Second, you want to make sure that you have really strong and robust office policies and they need to sign off on them. This isn't just, oh, please read these and keep them in mind. Oh, no, no, no. You sign off on them that you understand. So this would be things like, what's your policy on no-shows? What is your policy on supplement returns? Especially if you're virtual, right? You're drop shipping. So what happens if they have something that they want to return? what's your policy? I don't need to make that rule for you. You got to decide for yourself. Do you have a no supplement return policy? Is it only on unopened things? Well, they have to return it back to the company, the originating company, in order to get a return from the manufacturer because they bought it from you, but you ordered it from the manufacturer. If it's defective, how are you going to handle that? So you want to think that through. Also, what's your return or refund policy on any tests? Sometimes I've had patients that'll buy a test and a year will go by. I've had this happen and I give them the test and I'll say, you know, we're still waiting for those results. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. I'll get it. I'll do it. I'll get it. Okay, fine. And a year later, then they come back to me and they want a refund. I'm like, no, my rule is the test has to be complete within six months or there's no refunds. That's just me. You do it your way, friend. You get to do it however you want. You want to make sure that you know your office policies list your office hours. We are here Monday through Thursday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday from Tuesday, Thursday from make sure they know that you want to have your contact information. How do you want them to contact you? And what are the boundaries around that? I had a lady one time show up at, this is when I was practicing out of my house. Don't recommend it, but I was in between spaces and she showed up at my house at nine thirty at night, asking me a question about her twin preemie babies who were not breathing well. Not hers. they were her grandchildren, just born, like a week old, and they weren't breathing well. And I lived kind of out in the country. She drove twenty minutes to get out to my house to knock on my door at nine thirty at night and asked me the question, "What should I do?" I said, it's called nine one one. You get those babies to the hospital. I don't know that her elevator went all the way up. Like I think she was missing a few floors. Sometimes those common sense kind of things just eluded her a little bit. So I knew that, but I was shocked when that happened. So, Be clear in your office policies. This is when I will respond to emails. If you send a text message, if you offer that, don't ever give your cell phone. You know, just put boundaries around that. Let them know what your email response time is. Sometimes people want you to respond like instantly. And that's not a good thing to set up because what happens if you just have a really busy day, you can't get to them till later in the day and then they're mad. So set that up in the beginning time. What about emergencies? Like if they have an emergency, what is your policy? What are the guidelines for contacting you after hours, et cetera? Make sure your office policy also includes your fees, what the late or no show or missed appointment fee is. If there is one, like I have a three strikes and you're out rule. If you no show on me three times, I'm done because I got people waiting to get in and I'm not playing that game. That's just me. And then I make them initial it digitally. Or if you don't have it on digital, you can have them just like make a copy, sign it, and then scan it and send it back to you. But most people are really good about it. But every once in a while, you're going to have that crazy patient that's going to push those boundaries and make you go crazy. So just get them to initial it. That's number two. Number three is focus on your local area first. And I mentioned this earlier, when you focus on your local area, there are plenty of people That have chronic pain or whatever your niche is in your local area. You don't need to find all the chronic pain people in the world. You just need to start with your local area. So find the places where they hang out. Who else has those patients? Who else? Where do they hang out online? What about on social media? Are there groups that they're in? Is there a group in your town for chronic pain? You know, are they looking at CBD for pain? You have to kind of figure it out for whatever your niche is. But in this case, You want to find where they are, who has your audience. In other words, obviously the pain management doctor has your audience, but who else? Where else do they go? Where do they frequent? What kinds of foods do they buy, et cetera? And then see if you can go talk and teach in those areas. Another thing you can do is create a free resource and position yourself as the expert in chronic pain. You have your own secret sauce. You know how to manage it herbally or naturally or whatever you're going to do. Create a free resource, like a lead magnet, put it on your website, put it behind an email. You know, they have to give you their email in order to get it. And people will start to look at you as the authority. It builds credibility, it builds trust. And pretty soon they're gonna start to come to you, but you need to have something to give them that's a resource. And then lastly, consider social media, but only if you can be consistent. So if you can do social media things and you could say, hey, this is Dr. So-and-so, your chronic pain advocate. Like make that your tagline and every video that you do online, you just start it by that. Hey, this is Dr. So-and-so, your chronic pain advocate. Today, I'm going to talk about chronic knee pain and go into that 30 seconds and you're done. So that's social media, but you got to be consistent. Okay. So I hope that helps. Those are the four things I would start with when opening a virtual practice, just to kind of get the infrastructure. One and two is the infrastructure. And then three and four is how to get out there and get yourself known for what it is that you do. All right. A couple more questions and then we'll wrap for today. Evelyn asked about websites. Should you use Wix or Squarespace to build your own website? Or she asked if I have some agency that I would recommend. Well. I'm never going to recommend an agency because your experience with someone might be completely different than mine. And honestly, I don't want to be on the hook. I don't want you to be mad at me if it didn't work out for you. I don't know. Maybe you are not nice to deal with. Maybe they aren't doing it because you're not giving them what they're asked. I don't know. I don't make recommendations. You got to find your own. Upwork is a great place to go to look for website people. But let me answer the question. So Wix is a free kind of web builder, and you absolutely can build a website on Wix, Squarespace offers the same thing. The disadvantage of doing that is that they don't rank as well on SEO, unless you really, really work on them. And you've really got some SEO activity. You've got a lot of that going on on the website. And I'm not going to get into that here on this podcast, but Wix will work. Squarespace will work. Wix isn't going to give you the traction, but if you just need something free or low cost in the beginning, I would recommend Wix. But what I would say is hire someone to put it together for you because the amount of time that it's going to take you to try and figure it out and how the layout goes and how to put the picture in and how to get the words so that they're formatted correctly for mobile, et cetera, I would hire someone and you can find someone to do it on Upwork. So it's just upwork.com. They're freelancers. Now, what I would say is to save you some money, if you have all the copy written out, like what do you want it to say on your website? And in Clinical Business Academy, we have a whole training on websites, how to build them, what the sections are, what's supposed to be said in each one and why, what the psychology is behind that. But you need to make sure you get the copy written, find your images that you want, buy them legally. And then if you give that to the Upwork person, let's say an Upwork person that specializes in Wix websites, Awesome. Then they're going to be able to build it for you way fast. It's going to cost you less money. So that's what I would do. The best option, if you have about $2,500, is to hire someone to build you a WordPress site. But again, you're going to need to create the copy, find the pictures, and then hire somebody to put it together. So WordPress is kind of the gold standard as far as website platforms. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, think about WordPress or Wix or Squarespace as like the land, okay? Like a piece of ground. And your website is like the house that's built on top of the ground. So you just have to decide what ground you want to build your website on. Do you want to build it on Wix real estate? Do you want to build it on Squarespace real estate? Both are less expensive. Or do you want to build it on a WordPress real estate? But if you go from Wix to Squarespace to WordPress, you have to rebuild it every time because it's different pieces of land. So pick your land and build it, and then get going. So I would definitely hire out. I think it's worth the investment either way. But if finances are tight and you're not sure, I would get all the copy and pictures together, and then I would go to Upwork. And if you use Wix, let's say, then find someone who does Wix sites very well, and that'll allow you to get it done, get it done quickly, and that'll free up your time, then you can start creating your free resources for your ideal audience or, you know, work on other aspects of your business, generating revenue by seeing more patients, et cetera. So that would be my suggestion. All right, two more, but the last one's a really easy one. Here we go. This is the next question. How do you find reliable marketing agencies or market research companies that can help determine and niche. Oh my gosh, if I had a dollar for every time a practitioner has said to me, I don't know my niche. I could be rich and retire by now, I tell you. But I will say this about this. Please do not hire a marketing agency. 98% of them will take your money and run. They are shady as all get out. It's hard to pick them out unless you know what questions to ask. And I would bet if you're listening. You've probably been burned by some marketing agency or company. And certainly there are situations where you go, oh, it just wasn't a good fit for me, right? It just wasn't a good fit. Or, you know, I didn't like because they didn't get back to me soon enough or whatever. And that's fine. Like you have a right to go wherever you're going to go. But most of the time they are going to be shystry. So I would say don't do any kind of work with a marketing agency. However, let's think about how you're going to create this niche. First of all, no one can create it for you. If you think some, you're going to hire someone and then they're just going to magically give you your niche, that doesn't work. You have to decide. So here's the way that I like to think about it. Your niche is based on your interest, your training, your personality, and your environment. So if you live in the you know, East Coast, in the Upper East Coast, then if you were a Lyme specialist, that was your niche, perfect spot for that. But if you're in Southern California or Northern California, eh, I'm from California, the West Coast, we don't see too much of it. So do you see how that's dependent on the environment where you live, right? So you have to pick something that you love to do. So think about it this way. I'm gonna walk you through my steps. This is what I do with everybody. First thing, write down all the people you do not wanna work with. I mean, period, like no way. So I know mine, I don't like working with weight loss. I just don't love it. I don't love working with like males. I mean, I'll work with males, but I don't like working with male athletes or any kind of athletic because it's not me. I am not athletic. I never have been and I never will be and I don't want to be. I will exercise, but I wouldn't consider myself an athlete. So it's a world I don't know anything about. You may say, I do not want to work with pediatrics. Okay, great. Write it down. You might say, I absolutely do not want anything to do with the thyroid. Fine, write it down female hormones, diabetes, you know, geriatric patients, cancer patients, brain injury, mold, Lyme, autoimmune, all the things that you could do, just write down the ones first that you know, you're like, I don't love these things. That's great. That's a really good start. Next, you can start to ask your question and thinking about what's left. Ask yourself this question. If my schedule was full, I looked at my schedule for the whole week and it was full with all of the patients, the A patients that I love working with. Like it makes me so happy when I get to talk to this A patient, this A patient, this A. What is it that all of them have in common? What is it that all of them have in common? Are they all women? Okay. Well then maybe that's part of your niche is women. Are they all dealing with fatigue? and you love like seeing them, it's a huge hit for you to be like, yeah, we got your energy back. Then that might be part of it. Are they women with thyroid issues? Are they women with skin conditions? Are they women with autoimmune? Are they women with digestive issues? Or maybe you have men and women, and it seems that everybody's bloated and bloating is your thing. You just think about if I had a schedule that was full, 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 full for a whole week, and they were all A-patients, What do all of those A patients have in common? There's your niche. It's right around in there somewhere. It's really easy. Start by what you don't want to do and then think about what would your schedule look like for the whole day and what would those patients all have in common? And it can be something super general, like fatigue, helping, you know, mothers, part of moms get their energy back. It could be pretty specific like that. Or It could be general, you know, anxiety, even fatigue and anxiety. I help women, men overcome fatigue and anxiety so they can get their life back. Something like that. It's super general, but here's the thing. Once you get them in your office for fatigue and anxiety, let's just say, are they probably going to have digestive issues? Yes. Are you going to be able to fix those? Yes. They probably have some menstrual issues. Okay. You can fix that too. So practitioners get confused thinking, oh my gosh, if I say I have a niche, then I can't work with anything else. No, no, no. Your niche is just what you want people to think about when they think about you to get you in the door. Once they're in the door, you can do all the things that you want to do. You're not limited. You're not going to say, well, I'm sorry, my niche is fatigue. So I got to refer you out now because you have hormone problems. You're not going to do that. You're going to fix the rest of the stuff. So that's how you fix a niche. Don't overthink it. Just choose what makes you happy. Start by what you don't like and then think about what makes you happy on a day when your schedule is full. There you go. That's my answer to that question. Last question. Super easy one. Who do I use for my email service provider? So I added this question in for a reason because I get asked this quite often. So let's talk about this just for a sec before we wrap up. What this question is about is how do you send emails out to your patient, like in bulk? It's not whether you use AOL or Gmail or, you know, I use Outlook. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a third-party software that you have to pay for that you upload your contacts into. So your list of patients, all their email, their name and their email, you upload all of those in there. And then once they're uploaded, then you're going to be able to go in and create an email and send that email out to those contacts. So that's what an email service provider, it's also, some of them are called CRMs and it stands for Customer Relationship Manager. The one that I use is active campaign, but we are going to be switching from active campaign to a different one called ConvertKit. But you know, you can use MailChimp. This is what I would recommend. I would recommend MailChimp and, or Constant Contact. Don't do ActiveCampaign. The price is way too high. It used to not be that way. They used to have great customer service and now it's beyond horrible. You'll wait days for an answer back. So we're moving. But transferring to a different one is a heavy lift. So there's also one called Flowdesk. You could look at that one. That one's a little bit pricey too. But I would start with MailChimp and Constant Contact. The fees are based on the number of contacts you upload. So if you have a pretty small list, it's gonna be really inexpensive. If you have, you know, 5,000, 8,000, 10,000 names, then it just kind of ramps up based on the number of names. And most all of them are like that. So anyway, there you go. There are some of the best questions that were submitted when we did the, what would Rhonda do call out? So that's it for this week. One last thing I want to tell you is, listen, if you are that practitioner that you're saying to yourself, listen, I'm working so hard in my business but I'm not making the money that I need to make. And I know that there has to be an easier way to do this. If it feels like you're working hard and you're not growing and you don't know how to deal with the overwhelm or what kind of systems to put in place that allow you to really scale and grow your business, I would love to have you inside Clinical Business Academy. This is where I teach practitioners how to scale, grow, and make just incredibly profitable businesses so that you actually have money for retirement. You're not worried about how you're gonna you know, live besides social security at the end of your career because you're not gonna be doing chiropractic when you're hundred. At some point, you're gonna say, I'm gonna go travel. Do you have the money to be able to travel? There's nothing wrong with making a profitable business. Businesses have to be in business to be profitable. But I will teach you as a clinician how to do just that. So Clinical Business Academy the wait list is on right now. So go to Rondanelson.com forward slash CBA. Stands for Clinical Business Academy. I'll put the link in the show notes, but go there, get on the wait list. We will let you know when it opens. All right, friends, that's it for this week. I'll see you back next week on the podcast. Take care, have a great week.